0: Hello and welcome to Cloe Jack's Nursing Journey podcast. I'm Chloe Jack, a student nurse at Robert Gordon University, studying the dual honours nursing programme in children and young people and adult nursing. I'm really excited to welcome Jo Campbell to the podcast today. Before we get started, here's three facts about Jo. Jo's current role is specialist nurse and joint clinical lead of our regional network. She specialises as a roll Dahl children's epilepsy specialist nurse, and she registered as a general nurse in October 1983 and registered as a children's nurse in April 2000 and in April 2005 she registered as an independent nurse prescriber. Welcome Jo, thank you for joining me today. It's really great to have you on the podcast. So, Joe, can you tell us what your specialism entails and what an everyday looks like for you?
1: Hi, Chloe. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Um, run a pediatric epilepsy specialist nurse service along with my colleague Sammy Fraser. So, so sport is provided within the community and hospital setting. So, our the premise of our role, wherever possible, is to try and keep children and young people out of hospital. Um, Obviously, if they need to come into hospital, Sammy and I are there to offer advice and help and support both to the families as well as the ward staff. So the um, epilepsy nurse service works within the context of a a well-established, large, multidisciplinary team, general consultant paediatricians, doctors with an interest in epilepsy and neurology, neuropsychologists, psychologists, physiologists, a lot of ologists, Mm -hmm. (laughs) physiotherapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, pharmacists, GPs and health visitors, social work, education and the voluntary sector. We have meetings on a regular basis to discuss patients both locally, and also as part of the northeast of uh, Scotland Child and Adolescent Neurology Network. So we work as a, a regional. So we try and maintain good clinical practice and governance. Um, so embedded in our practice or embedded in our day to day life are the care standards. And they're driven by um, both uh, you know, guidelines like the Scottish Intercollegiate Guideline Network and um, NICE guidelines, as well as working within the managed clinical networks, such as the Scottish Paediatric Epilepsy Network. And from a nursing point of view, we have ESNA as well, the Epilepsy Specialist Nurse Association. So part of our role is to get involved in the development of these standards and have recently been involved with development of competencies um, for epilepsy nurses across the UK. So patients that we care for are viewed in outpatient clinics, so we do joint clinics with the consultants um, in Aberdeen, Elgin, Orkney and Shetland and we also run nurse-led clinics and parents have contact with the epilepsy nurses between um, these uh, clinic appointments. Um, by telephone or, and now, um, and this is coming to play more since the COVID pandemic, uh, we have access to teams so we can teams our patients and see them face to face and we also have near me appointments. So we provide nurse led review for the children uh, and young people with epilepsy. So we see children when they're newly diagnosed with epilepsy, just making sure the families understand the condition and how it's managed. Um, we draft care plans for schools um, and dress bike care organizations and social care and we troubleshoot for families so they'll be the first point of contact for, uh, for families between clinic appointments so we give advice and support on their anti-epileptic medication and um, we make drug changes we tell them about side effects and give them advice about side effects Um, We support children who have been prescribed emergency medication because they've had um, prolonged or recurrent seizures um, that could potentially lead to hospital admission. And as an epilepsy nurse, we have to be non-medical prescribers. We also look after our children who have vagus nerve stimulators implanted. So not all epilepsies are treated with medication. We have other treatment options. So I take the lead for children who have vagus nerve stimulators, which are mechanical devices that are implanted um, under the left clavicle with a Uh, a lead that gets coiled around the left vagus nerve and emits electrical impulses into the brain Um, so I program and adjust that device according to seizure control and my colleague takes the lead for supporting children who are on the ketogenic diet which is a very high fat to protein diet with little carbohydrate which has to be micromanaged by the dietitian um, and the epilepsy nurses so the epilepsy nurse role has evolved over the years and more and more there's a a shift from the social and psychosocial support to a more clinical um, input for these patients Um, so advising patients about the treatments and management of seizures Um, and we're also conscious and again this has been highlighted by the COVID pandemic more so um, there is a, a need to focus on the mental health of children and young people with epilepsy, and that's something that we hope to develop within our service. So quite a breadth of knowledge and uh, we have a huge amount of contact with our patients and bring, um, build up really lovely relationships with our families. Um, with this interim contact once they've been diagnosed with epilepsy. That sounds fantastic, Joe.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Well, I'm maybe going to put a spanner in the works here by saying they shouldn't. OK, <laughs> so that's maybe not the answer that you um, m- would be expecting. Um, but I would not recommend any qualified nurse would work in this speciality because I think they really need to have generic uh, nursing experience first. So many of the children that I support or we support as a service have multi-system problems or have comorbidities or neurodisability. So a breadth of knowledge um, about nursing, basic nursing care um, and complex nursing care of these children um, is essential. Um, before specializing. So I know that most specialisms would recommend at least a year in practice before specializing, but I would probably advise more in the case of epilepsy. It's quite a complex condition um, with the comorbidities. When ready, for working in the field of epilepsy, what I would say is it is an exciting and dynamic um, specialism. Treatments are always advancing and science around uh, epilepsy is really, really fascinating. I'm a bit of a geek, so apologies. Um, But some of our children with genetic epilepsies are in in a position where in the future, so for example, um, and I know this is the same in other medical conditions, but um, there's a genetic condition called Rett syndrome. And these young girls have uh, seizures in the context of having this genetic um, problem and they're now able to transplice genes. So it halts the progression of this um, epilepsy syndrome. Um, so a child, uh, if diagnosed early, um, they should have a less of a developmental impact um, with treatment, gene treatment and the transplicing of the gene, uh, genes. so they won't be as learning disabled um, or have as many problems. Um, if we diagnose early. So there's a lot that's going on in the background as far as genetics is concerned and that's treatments for epilepsy. It's quite an exciting um, specialism to, to, to be involved with. A lot of nurses are a little afraid of epilepsy, um, but if you put it into the context of the majority of children gain control of the seizures um, and the more you're exposed to difficult epilepsies, the less scary it becomes so i think it's a really exciting specialism and so once you've got the experience i would i would thoroughly encourage people uh, to come this direction uh, uh, as a thought for a future career
0: super thank you joe so looking back on your nursing journey would you say that you saw yourself in the position that you are now when you first started your nurse training
1: again possibly an unusual answer but i'm going to say no is the honest answer i've never planned my career um and Again, you know, if you speak to your lecturers, they probably would be horrified at that to a degree. Um, But my career has naturally evolved as a result of identifying areas for improving patient care, which for me has been really satisfying. I've always wanted to be a nurse, and I would say I'm one of the old school, where I've uh, become a nurse, and I feel like it's a vocation rather than um, any professional career choice, if that makes sense. So. If you don't mind, I'll, you know, I'll give you a little overview of my journey just to okay. demonstrate what I mean by this. So a- I actually started my uh, nursing career as a general nurse, an adult trained general nurse in a community hospital. Um, and at the time, the nursing process had come in um, and this community hospital um some of the nurses had been there for, for years. I was newly qualified and I was full of enthusiasm. So I actually implemented the nursing process and, and developed care plans for all the patients in the hospital and um, for um, doing the activities of daily living planning in, in the care planning and taught the staff how to do that. So that was my first development as a newly qualified nurse. From there I got married and I moved up to Scotland Um, And I worked in nursing homes because I had a young family and I also worked in Baxter's because you do what you have to do. So I worked on the line as well as working in nursing homes for a while. Um, And in the nursing homes, I was able to put in place um, procedures for the assessment of prevention of pressure sores. And um, I also helped take forward safe drug administration um in in the nursing homes as well once i had my children i decided that i wanted to change direction i felt that i wanted to go into children's nursing and naively i thought i could just go and knock on the door of uh, a children's hospital and say can i have a job please and um i think angela hosley mentioned in her podcast about beverly Allot and the beverly Allot scandal yeah and uh, this is around about that time. So I was very naive in the thought that I could just go and ask for a job. Um, but fortunately for me, um, the nursing sister that I spoke to actually saw something in me and um, I was allowed to work on the bank initially at the children's ward in Dr. Gray's um, and then um, subsequently did my children's nursing by distance learning um, and um, developed the paediatric clinics in Dr Gray's. So we had, um, and again, this goes back to me saying a breadth of knowledge knowledge is essential for supporting children with epilepsy with the comorbidities. So uh, with these paediatric clinics um, that I help develop and, and support, I learned so much about um, complex neurodisability with the special needs clinics. Um, and there was lots of lots of specialist clinics that we developed that I got to know these children and the complexities of day-to-day life for them um, and um, that knowledge was essential to me taking forward um, to, to my next role. So as a necessity, because I was the wage earner in the family, um, I was looking out for a way to um, get promotion and I was asked to apply for a school nursing post Um, And from then, I established into a school that was highly resistant to school nursing, um, a good health promoting schools ethos, Um, and my claim to fame is that I taught one of the senior management managers, which I won't name and shame, but a senior manager in um, the children's hospital stress management, so that's why he's such a cool dude. Okay. When I was a school nurse, um, I had a horrible experience, and this is where um, my journey into epilepsy started. Um, I was asked to go to a school in a lunch break and train them in the use of rectal diazepam. And it was the most scary, horrible experience um, of my time as a school nurse. Um, The teachers and the PSAs, uh, pupil support um, assistants, were coming and going throughout the training. Um, I was getting bombarded with questions and I couldn't complete a full training course. And at the end of this, this session, which was horrific, and I can't emphasize that enough, um, I um, was asked to sign to say these people were competent to, to support an emergency medication um, to the young people in the school, which I refused to do. So from there, I decided that something had to be done. I developed a training package for epilepsy and emergency medication administration for schools um, and started to become connected um, inadvertently with people who um, manage epilepsy or um, develop services for epilepsy and I was invited to um, because of my interest and passion um, I was invited to join a group that was developing sign guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of children diagnosis and management of children uh, with epilepsy. So that's the Scottish intercollegiate guideline network.
0: Um,
1: And the recommendations of that guideline was to um, make sure that every health board had an epilepsy specialist nurse. And um, in Scotland at the time, there was only two, one in Glasgow, and one in um, Edinburgh. Um, And from that, there was a post developed in Dundee, and subsequently a post was um, advertised in Grampian, which I applied for and I was successful in in obtaining and I developed the service from scratch there was nobody obviously in post before Um, so my passion has driven me to with all these guidelines and standards of care to put them in place in Grampian and take forward uh, an epilepsy nurse nursing service so that was 17 years ago <laughs> um, and from that I'm currently I've, I've most recently being given a post of clinical lead of uh, joint clinical lead of NESCAN uh, which is the north east of Scotland child and adolescent neurology network so again
0: congratulations
1: oh thank you <laughs> okay. um so part that Post is to, or role should I say, is to take forward the development of services across the region of Grampian, Orkney and Shetland um, and Highland and Tayside. So as you can see, I'm a bit driven um, by a desire to provide children and young people with good quality care and my career has actually progressed according to what's been required from a nursing point of view, not, not what I've required from a uh, a career point of view if that makes sense um sorry if that was a bit long-winded but that's what i would say to that question
0: wow, wow joe that's a fantastic um, amount of experience that you've got there thank you so much for sharing um and what would you say to your student nurse self now having been on the journey that you have
1: hesitating to say this but because uh, i've deviated from your question slightly but um i felt that it's a difficult question I'm married with three children that have all now grown up. Looking back, I've worked full time out of necessity, both obviously as a student nurse and and, and as a qualified nurse. Um, Sometimes you don't have choices about because of life circumstances. But what I would emphasize as a student nurse or a qualified nurse would be to get your work life balance right. Um, My son um, who's a thrill-seeking bungee jumper. He's a surfer, climber, snowboarder, you know, that kind of person. Yeah. Uh, his, his mantra is, you work to live, not live to work. Um, yeah. So you often used to say that to me, you can get absorbed in what you do and passionate about what you do, but you must keep your work-life balance um, in order.
0: Super advice, thank you Jo. And what advice would you give to nursing students who have a placement in this area?
1: Well as as I said earlier I think a lot of nurses and students are are scared of epilepsy and often it's the age-old fear of the unknown so, as a student on placement, I would really encourage, you know, the best students that we've had on placements are the other students that have asked lots and lots of questions. We love to teach, the whole team loves to teach. Um, and again, what I'd encourage the students to do is to facilitate the teaching of parents and carers. And um, we've got very clear performance of how to do that. And one, it improves your communication skills, but two, it teaches you a skill of being methodical in the way you get across um, the, the teaching to, to parents of, of how to do certain things. The other thing that we'd encourage students to do, and um, which again, can feel very, very scary is is to actually speak to the parents, take the calls and identify their concerns and and um get all the, the right information that's needed to give them the correct advice. So I suppose looking at the, the SBAR approach, looking at the situation, the background um, and the assessment and recommendations. So just going through that kind of framework just to um, get used to um, speaking to parents and identifying the concerns. I've got a mantra that goes with me everywhere I go. OK. My mantra is feel the fear and do it anyway. There's a book by Jeffers, I think it is, and I would encourage you to read it and your your, your student your colleagues to read it. Um, nothing is ever as bad as it seems. So pushing yourself into uncomfortable situations and doing things that don't necessarily come easily, one because of um, you know lack of experience or um, sometimes out of lack of knowledge, it can feel a bit uncomfortable, but pushing yourself is the best way of, of learning so that that would be my advice.
0: I totally agree with that Jo and thank you so much that's brilliant advice for nursing students and um, what would you say is your favourite thing about your role as an epilepsy nurse specialist? I think that's an easy one <laughs>
1: uh, for any nurse that uh, um, shouldn't be speak so generally I suppose but uh, in my mind um the best thing about my role is supporting the children and young people and the parents. you you built up such terrific relationships with your parents um, and I think we make a, a difference because we're so accessible and the families get timely advice. Um, we work as a team, all equally valued. So uh, again, my favourite thing is, is working as a team, you're not working in isolation. And as I said, we're all equally valued for, in our roles, um, and the neurology community in Scotland is small and friendly. Everybody in Scotland knows each other from a neurology point of view. So in that way, we're like um, uh, you know a work family almost. Hmm. Um, so it's 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 quite a nice experience working in in epilepsy.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you, Joe. And do you require any specialist qualifications to carry out this role? Um, what I would encourage
1: people to ha- have if they were to think about applying for specialist Epilepsy Specialist Nurses uh, post would be to have a qualification in, in Epilepsy Care at a postgraduate uh, level. Student nurse training is changing, um, but you definitely need to be an independent nurse prescriber. A huge part of our role is um, advising parents about drug changes. Um, so being confident in drug calculations, um, and you autonomous in your practice, um, advising about changes in drug therapy, either changing the drug altogether or increasing it, decreasing it, uh, and so on and so forth. So you need to know all about the side effects um, and to be able to prescribe confidently. Now, currently, Um, you would have to be in post for a year before you started uh, to train to be an independent nurse prescriber. And I know that will change in time with the new uh, way that uh, student nurses are being trained. And also, um, and you're probably aware of this, Chloe, that over the last few years, there's been a real drive to um, marry the academia side of nursing with the um, banding of nursing. So just to make sure that from an academic point of view, as well as a practical point of view, you're working um, at the required level. So from my point of view, I think it's useful to do a master's degree. I chose to do a master's in advanced nursing practice. And I, I would encourage nurses, student nurses, once they're qualified to seriously consider that once imposed for a wee while because it really frames the way you think. a focus on research and development. Um, My passion, going back to that word again, my passion in life um, is quality improvement. Um, So it really frames the way you think about that and how it um, enhances your practice to take that um, forward. And obviously it it helps, it enhances your skills um, in leadership as well. So that that would be the the main qualifications um, out with your registration.
0: That's fantastic advice thank you joe thank you for joining me joe i hope you've enjoyed your time on the podcast before we finish up in the last episode richard posed the following question for you what impact has covid-19 had on the delivery of child health services
1: well that's a cracker of a question so although as richard said the the impact has been predominantly on on adults or the elderly And from a service provision point of view, um, COVID has had a a major impact on on the delivery of children's services. So it was a really anxious time both for families and um, staff uh, at the start of the pandemic. Um, We were told to pause all services from a specialism point of view, Um, and um, the hospital was only receiving emergency cases, so all planned care was halted um, there was a lot of so while our junior doctors were taken from the children's hospital to ARI to work on the wards and our community children's doctors um, as it implies these doctors are predominantly work in the community um, and have done for, for many years some of them um, had to be redeployed back to the children's wards and nursing staff as well, as well who whose role weren't Um, on the wards were redeployed back to the wards to um, help um, with the reconfiguration of services. The whole hospital was reconfigured um, so it was safe for people coming, um, both patients and children and um, for staff working the way around the hospital. We had hot zones uh, and cold zones originally Um, and then we had a traffic light system almost in place in the hospital. It was a very anxious and scary and frustrating time because um, there was a lot of communication. We were bombarded with with emails about changes, so trying to absorb all that information. Um, And there was a a great deal of frustration because if we're not reviewing children and young people or being accessible to children and young people, where do they go for help? And I don't think that was initially thought of. highlighted very quickly. Um, and obviously, services resumed to a degree, but it did have an impact on both staff and children's services in that people were being seen in a timely fashion. And that's caused massive waiting lists as a result of that. So there was huge press, pressure on the specialisms. So specialist nursing in general, um, because we were removed from our posts to go and help on the ward. So again, from an accessibility point of view, parents didn't have um, quick access to um, the specialist nursing services um, and they had to go through um, generic emails to the consultants. So there was a delay um, in accessing advice. Um, On a positive note, um, out of this frustration and and confusion uh, in the early stages of uh, COVID, there was a great deal of camaraderie um, and a great deal of support for each other. And parents were incredibly understanding. They they understood what was going on, and and that we were just trying to plan to maintain the safety. Um, talking about children and young people and their parents specifically, there was a lot of anxiety of them coming into hospital if they had to come into hospital for treatment, um, and then then rapidly we developed new ways of seeing patients. So um. You probably have heard of near-me consultations, so the virtual consultations. Um, So that was fast-tracked. At the start of COVID, that was only um, under pilot by Highland at that time, Um, but it was spread widely across Scotland very, very rapidly, so patients could see their consultants. But there's problems with that as well because often the children are missing from these virtual clinic appointments um, and over time that's become evident that there's a few although it's a very positive thing in that keeping people safe keeping them out of hospital um, that um, you know there's a trade-off because you're not actually seeing the patient during some of these consultations that are done virtually um, a lot of our young children complex neurodisability and epilepsy so in my specialism um, are very vulnerable and had to shield because of covid I'm really, really mindful in general, um, but um, also specifically in my specialism, um, because it's a brain condition um, that there's been a high incidence of mental health issues, rising emissions of young people to hospital with mental health issues, Um, and particularly within my specialism, Um, Anxiety about having epilepsy, but also because of the COVID pandemic that having an impact on them as well mentally, and because of the social isolation and so on and so forth. So, I hope that answers Richard's question. It's um, it's a difficult one to answer because it's affected all of us in so many different ways. COVID is still here, um, but I think we've learned of ways to adapt to keep people safe and be able able to see people that need to be seen um, and manage services appropriately. So that would be my answer, Chloe.
0: Thank you, Jo. What a brilliant reply to Richard's answer. In the next episode, we'll be joined by Isla Fairley, Academic Team Lead for Practice Learning at Robert Gordon University, and she specialises in children and young people's diabetes. So the power is now in your hands, Joe, to pose a question for the next guest speaker. What would you like to ask Isla?
1: Well, Isla, uh, I would ask you, what are the qualities? What do you think the qualities are of a good lecture? And how do you make your lectures current and relevant to the students' experience of award-based practice?
0: Super question, Jo. Thank you very much. So thank you for joining me today, Jo. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave a comment on my socials and follow me at Clojack on her Mac. That's all for now, folks. Cheerio. <laughs>